1: Orland Park Christian Reformed Church welcomes you to worship with us this Sunday as we gather to worship and hear the Word of God proclaimed. You can learn more about our church at GroundedAndGrowingRadio.com
2: I'm going to invite you to turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 17. We're going to be looking at a, a pretty brief section of the text. It's a really intimate section of the text where Paul is writing to uh, his children in the faith, the church that's in Thessalonica. He's talking about how much he longs to be with them again, how much he longs to see them, how much he uh, cares for them. Uh, Because it's so personal, I think it's really moving. So let's give our attention to this section of Scripture. These verses here, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, starting at verse 17. But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly, And with great desire to see you face to face, because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer... For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. So there's something that you probably noticed about this section of scripture as we were reading it. One of the things that you probably noticed as we read it is how personal this section of scripture is. Paul here isn't giving uh, any particular commands? He's not giving the sort of instruction That comes through commands But he is talking about his relationship With the Thessalonian church Now, if you're here at the beginning of our uh, time going through this series, I talked a little bit about what the book of Acts tells us about when uh, when, when Paul planted this church that was in Thessalonica, about how he was made to leave really quick because the city opposed Paul and the message of the gospel and those that were working with Paul. And so after a brief period of time planting and establishing this church, he was forced away from the church. And now he's writing to them, and it's clear that he really deeply loves this congregation, And that he very much wants to be back with them. And so, what we have here is a really personal section of Scripture. And in its very personal nature, it's really helpful to us. And I really love it. I love all the Scriptures, but I love these parts of Scriptures where it seems like we get a little bit of a look into the personality of the Apostle Paul when we come to understand a little bit about who he was as a man, as a teacher, as someone who loved the church. And it helps us to understand the nature of the scriptures themselves. It helps us get what it is that the Bible is. We don't do the Bible credit if we look at every part of it as if it's a proclamation that comes simply from God without human interference. I mean, there are some parts of scripture, right, where God just gives a message… And says, hey, write this down. Or present this message to the people. One of the clearest examples of that is the Ten Commandments, right? Moses goes up to the mountain. The Lord says, these are my commandments. This is my word that I've spoken to you. Now speak it to the people. Most of the Bible doesn't come to us that way. Most of the Bible comes, uh, well, as the church has said for, uh, th- throughout its history, that the Bible is the word of God in the words of men. A lot of the problem that the church faced in its early years came from understanding who exactly Jesus was. You'll understand what I'm getting at. So, Jesus, fully God and fully human, right? And as the church saw Jesus, this was a really hard concept for them to grasp. And so, some teachers in the early church really wanted to hit on this fully God teaching. And so, they would downplay or diminish the humanity of Jesus, some teachers would say, you know, he only appeared to be human. Some people say, well, you know what, God actually took control of a human being throughout most of his life and then left him at the cross. But then the church kept pointing to the Bible and said, no, Jesus is really, truly a human being, like us in every way except without sin. And he's really, truly God. And it's not a problem that we believe those two things together. It's important for us to understand that the scriptures are like that as well. Truly divine, Truly divinely inspired. Every single word. And truly human also. Truly written by a human author. That wasn't in a trance as he wrote the words of the scriptures, but but the Holy Spirit somehow made use of this process of writing this letter to the Thessalonian church so that it would also be the word of God just as it was the word of Paul. Fully the words of Paul, fully the words of God. We're tempted to believe otherwise. We're tempted to believe, I think, sometimes that, that maybe Paul was in a trance or something like that, or, or all of these words just came and he just wrote them down as God was speaking them, but, but it's a truly human thing, just like it's truly, truly divine. One of the illustrations of this that I always think is the most interesting, I'm just going to tell you right now. In the Middle Ages, where people started to return to the original languages, some of the original languages to read the Scripture in the the Hebrew of the Old Testament and the Greek of the New Testament, you see, for a long time, the Bible had been translated into Latin. People would read it in Latin. But in the Middle Ages, people were like, let's read it in its original languages, Greek and Hebrew. And they would read the New Testament in Greek. And one of the things that they discovered is that the Greek of the New Testament was different from the other Greek that they had from that time. There were official court proclamations or pronouncements that would come from emperors. Different type of Greek was written in. And so what some people said at the beginning was, oh, this Greek of the Bible, this must be like a secret heavenly Greek that was given to the writers of the Bible. That's why it's so unique. It was this secret heavenly Greek. And then, about 100 years ago, there were some discoveries of uh, pieces of pottery And the language that was used on those pieces of pottery, things inscribed in that, the same type of Greek that the Bible is written in. And this was a challenge of faith for some people. Well, this isn't a secret heavenly Greek. And as more archaeological things started coming out, people realized, oh my goodness, the Bible isn't written written in a, a secret heavenly Greek. It's written in the common Greek that everyday people were using on the streets, not the exalted Greek of the royal court. And those that, you know, have known Jesus said, well, this isn't a problem for us. We know that the Bible is truly inspired by God and at the same time, it's truly human. This is one of those passages that helps us to understand that both of those things are held together. Paul speaks very intimately here, really the words of Paul. And through the words of Paul, God is speaking to the church in Thessalonica and to us as well. And so let's just walk together through the text As we take a look at what's written here very personally The first thing I want for us to see is that Paul really longed to see the Thessalonians again He longs for it so much and he expresses it In uh, chapter 2 verses 17 and 18 Uh, One commentator says this He says that Paul's desire to see the Thessalonians Is expressed repeatedly to the point of awkwardness in verses 17 and 18, in order to underscore his desire for reunion. Let's look at the way that he stresses this in verses 17 and 18. The first thing that we note is Paul says, we were torn away from you at the very beginning, since we were torn away from you. And literally, in again the Greek, or more woodenly, this would be we were orphaned from you. And then he uses the word brothers. He's referring to the brothers and the sisters that were a part of the Thessalonian church. He was saying, we became a part of the same family when you trusted in Jesus Christ. And so when I was forced out of the city, along with Silas and Timothy, it was so painful. It was like losing my family. It was like becoming an orphan. That's how closely united we had become because we share the same faith. He says, secondly, that while he had been absent in person... He hadn't been absent in his heart. He said, since we were torn away from you brothers for a short time in person, not in heart. His heart is still with the Thessalonian church. His mind is still with the Thessalonian church, even as he is physically absent from them. The third thing that he says is that he eagerly and with great desire wants to see them again face to face. And that's again in verse 17. We were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart. We endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face. And then he makes it clear again in verse 18. He restates it again. This is why the commentator uh, G.K. Beale says it's almost to the point of awkwardness, right? He restates it again. He says, we wanted to come see you. I, Paul, wanted to come see you. And not only did I want to come see you, I wanted to see you again and again. This is some deep affection. This is deep love that Paul has for his brothers and sisters in the Thessalonian church. And this is the kind of affection that does and that can unite Christians when we have Christ in common.
1: Today's message on grounded and growing in Christ will continue in just a moment. To learn more about Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, to listen to other messages from our audio ministry, or to make a financial gift of any amount, please visit groundedandgrowingradio.com. That's groundedandgrowingradio.com. This audio ministry is made possible by gifts from listeners like yourself, and we greatly appreciate all those of you who continue to make it possible to share this work with listeners across Chicagoland. Now let's return to today's message
2: you know, it's really remarkable that this is the depth of the affection that Paul's experiencing and feeling because he was with the Thessalonian church for a really brief period of time. At the end of this passage of scripture, he talks about how, you know, he was with them so briefly and there was such persecution, he wasn't sure if his work was in vain. He wasn't sure if there was still going to be a church in Thessalonica. And so not even knowing if the church was still there, he was praying for them and he was longing so very much to be back with them. This is the type of affection that can be shared between those who trust in Jesus, who have Jesus in common. I got to tell you, this is one of the things that I understand cognitively with my mind, but sometimes it's hard for me to express myself in these sorts of ways. I don't know about you, but I can at times find it difficult to, I guess, express the the same sort of, of longing that Paul expresses here, the same sort of deep affection That Paul expresses here and I think the reason for that is that it can be a little bit embarrassing and I I don't know about you but I've been sometimes made fun of for those sorts of things let me tell you one situation in particular I was at Wheaton College it was freshman year and freshman year you know you're trying to sort of establish yourself and I had some friends that were at at Kelvin College I really very much wanted to see I was really longing to see them again And I had some friends up in Canada that I was really longing to see again, but I didn't have a car, so I didn't have a way to go see them. But my friend called me and said, hey, if you can figure out a way to come to Grand Rapids this weekend, we'll go drive and visit our friends who are in Canada. And I longed for this so much that I like called a bunch of people. This was before like Facebook, so I didn't know how to get the word out, right? I just sent a message in every way that I knew. I like passed notes. I made phone calls. I was like, does anyone know anyone that's going to be going to Grand Rapids this weekend? And can I drive with them? And I got a call from a group of really cool dudes, right? These were real cool dudes that were driving to Grand Rapids, because one of them lived in Grand Rapids. And so the chief cool dude called me and was like, hey man, driving to Grand Rapids, you can hop in if you want. And I responded, oh, that is a dream come true, is what I told (laughs) him. And after I said that, there was this uncomfortable pause on the phone, and he goes, dude, that's super weird that you said that. (laughs) (laughs) And I realized, oh, not race. He doesn't care. I can't tell you how eager I am to see you. You know, I want to come to you. We want to come to you. I, Paul, I want to visit you again and again and again because I miss you. And this is the type of affection that's ours when we share Christ Jesus in common. And so don't worry about being cool. Let folks know. Let your brothers and sisters in Christ know how eagerly you desire to be with them, how much you care for them, how the love of Christ unites you in a a deep and a powerful and a beautiful way. This is the type of affection that belongs to those who share Christ in common. The second thing that's important for us to know here is, as Paul is writing to the Thessalonians is that spiritual warfare is real. Verse 18, you probably noticed it, it, it stands out. Paul says, because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. So Paul's saying, listen, you need to know how sincerely I long to be present face to face with you, but you also need to know that I have been hindered by Satan, that I I couldn't make it there, couldn't make it back because Satan, Satan has prevented me from coming back. Now there's a lot of speculation in various commentaries about the precise way that Satan had perhaps hindered Paul from being able to come and see the Thessalonians again. But I think that's pretty unhelpful speculation. The scriptures don't tell us the means by which Paul was prevented from returning to the Thessalonian church. It simply simply tells us that he was prevented and that he was hindered by Satan from returning to the Thessalonian church. And so as we talk about this portion of Scripture, C.S. Lewis is really helpful in guiding us and thinking about this. C.S. Lewis, in the beginning part of his book, The Screwtape Letters, says something that's so helpful to us. He says this, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased into endless speculation about what this might be. Let's focus on what it is that the text says. Let me say a few things at first here. The first is that we live in a materialist culture wherein which you and I are tempted to believe that there are no spiritual forces at work. That is a mistake. Satan is active in the world. There is an enemy who seeks to frustrate the plans of God and the plans of the people of God. And here, in the ministry of Paul... It was Satan who had prevented him from returning to the Thessalonian church. And it's also important for us to note that Paul was not powerful enough to stand against the devil on his own, and you are not powerful enough to stand against the work of the enemy on your own. As the great hymn says, did we in our own strength confide, our striving would be losing. But it's also important to recognize that God is more powerful than Satan. Satan is not an equal and opposite force of God. We don't live in a Star Wars type of universe where there is the light side represented by God and the dark side represented by Satan that are equal and opposite forces that are in competition. God is unique in his power, in his glory, in his sovereignty, in his majesty. Martin Luther put it this way the devil is God's devil. God has ultimate control. And so, if you and I are to operate within this world with devils filled, we must rely on the strength of God. One of the friends that I worked at the Milwaukee Rescue Mission with when I had finished college told me, You and I are going to go out into a world where there is a spiritual battle. And so, we need to make sure that we're prayed up. I love that. I love that phrase, right? Satan does operate within this world. But God is greater than Satan. And so when you go into the world, make sure you're prayed up. Notice then that the passage continues in verses 19 and 20 by talking about Paul's boasting in the Thessalonian church. 19 and 20 of this section of scripture asks and then answers a question. Paul asks, what's our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? That's what he says in verse 19. He asks this rhetorical question, is it not you? And he indicates by that rhetorical question that that his hope and joy and crown of boasting is this church in Thessalonica. And then verse 20 makes it absolutely clear, for you are our glory and our joy. What Paul is saying is that he is eager for the Lord Jesus Christ to come, to return. And he's eager for the day when he's going to be able to stand before the Lord as he's judging the living and the dead. And he's eager to stand before Christ and say, Lord, I've trusted you. I have faith in you. Can I show you some of the fruit of my faith? Would you, would you just take a look at the Thessalonian church? I would just like to commend this church to you, Lord. Because you are active and operating through my faith and through the gospel that I was preaching to them. And you saved this group of people and you used me to do it, Lord. I am excited to show you them. Lord, look at their faithfulness. See that it flowed through you making use of my gospel message to save them, Paul here is talking like he is a proud, beaming father, beaming because of the faith of the Thessalonian church. He's so proud that they continue to trust in Jesus Christ. And, and again, he says at the coming of the Lord, he's excited to, he's excited to, to show the Lord this, that they're going to be his his crown of boasting. He's talking about the sort of wreaths that runners in turn at the end of the age, and he was excited to display the fruit of his faith to the Lord Jesus Christ when he returned. Jesus, I'm so glad you've returned. Look at the Thessalonian church. Are you eager for Jesus to come back? What do you hope to show him when he returns? What's your joy and, and crown of boasting to lay at the feet of the Savior when he returns? Jesus, I'm so glad you've returned. I want to show you, Lord, that I've had a growing obedience through my life. I know that you've been strengthening my, me by your Spirit throughout my whole life, and I just want to show you this growing obedience that has developed within me. This is for you. And Lord, you know that I was stuck in in sin and, and for how I prayed about it and how I fought against it. It was all for you. And I just want to show you that that growth in grace, that was for you, Lord. I want to show it to you. Or maybe when the Lord Jesus Christ returns, you're going to say, Jesus, this is my friend. You know that I prayed for a long time that she'd be a Christian. And you know that you gave me the opportunity to tell her about you. And I know that you worked through that gospel message to save her. And I've just been hoping for the day, Lord, that I got to tell you about her in person. Or Jesus, these are are my children. I spent a good deal of my life, Lord, training them to know you. and, And they trust in you now, Jesus. You made use of me to call them to faith. And I'm just eager for you to see that they trust in you. Or, Jesus, take a look at the way that I have used my finances for you. This is what I just want to lay before you at your coming. Or, Jesus, take a look at, at this congregation that, that the church that I was a part of got to plant. This was for you. This church plant is our crown of boasting, Lord. What will be your joy to tell Jesus about at his return? Developing an internal perspective... One that understands that Jesus will return to judge the living and the dead helps us to focus our energy in the right places. It helps us to live now. It helps us to live, not to build a human empire for ourselves, not to live for comfort or luxury, but to live the sort of life wherein we are excited for Jesus to return and to show him the fruit of his work in our life. And so let me ask you this. What do you need to remove from your life to be more eager for the returning of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ? What sin or what entanglements need to go? And what do you need to add to your life to be more eager for the return of Jesus Christ? Do you need to more completely give yourself to obeying God's word? Maybe you need to be more active in meeting non-Christians and praying for them and telling them about Jesus. Maybe you need to be more singularly focused about teachings, teaching your children to know and love Jesus Christ. Maybe you need to be more committed to, to funding and encouraging church planting efforts to see these types of crowns of joy. Maybe you need to be more giving to missions work. Maybe you're called to be a missionary. Maybe that's one of the things that God is calling you to do. Maybe even this morning, God is calling you to say, I want you To go into Chicago or to go to somewhere in the world to call people to trust in Jesus. But Paul says it's the Thessalonian church that's his crown of boasting before the Lord at the coming of the Lord. But this might make you pause and wonder wait, well, didn't Paul say in Galatians that he boasted only in the cross? How is he now boasting in the Thessalonian church? His glorying in his converts as he saw the grace of God manifested in them was but a phase of his paramount glorying in the cross